A week ago, many of the world tuned into live streams and certain things throughout the world to watch the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II over in England. I didn't watch the funeral, but somebody sent me a YouTube clip of the very last moment of the funeral, the very end of all of the pomp and circumstance, the processions, the lying in state, the prayers, the songs, and everything else. And it's very striking, the very last moment of the funeral, the very last thing that takes place is after a week of her lying in state with the coffin, the casket being draped with the royal standard and having the fresh flower arrangement on it. There was also the imperial state crown, this very, very priceless, very expensive crown that she was crowned with at her coronation, the scepter that she held when she was seated on the throne, the orb that was given to her, all signs of her reign as queen for the past seven decades of England's history. And during the prayers and everything, the casket had those things on it, and the very last thing before she went down into the grave, those things were taken off of the casket, given to the archbishop, and he likewise turned around and placed them all on the high altar in the chapel that the funeral took place at. A very striking symbol that the very last time we see this woman, or at least her coffin, she's stripped of all earthly glory, all vanity, all power, all symbols of her reign as queen, they're given to God at the high altar, and then she descends down into the grave as a simple Christian soul. It's a very old tradition, it's very meaningful, it's very beautiful, but it's also kind of daunting too, because that is the same exact thing that is going to happen to each and every one of us one day. Chances are none of us will become king or queen of anything, but we'll be stripped of whatever earthly glory, whatever earthly crown we have made for ourselves, because at judgment, when we take our last breath and we stand before God, the just judge and the loving, merciful Savior, will answer for everything that took place in our life. In the book of Revelation, there's this imagery of being up in heaven, and all of the saints, all of the martyrs, everyone takes off their own crown and lays it at the feet of Jesus Christ. On earth here, that happens as it will be in heaven. We say that phrase all the time in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will, Father, be done here on earth as it is for eternity up in heaven. We spend all of our lives, it seems like, trying to make these own crowns for ourselves, these fancy robes, these good meals that we hear about with the rich man in the gospel. And for what? For what reason? There's a certain healthy approach to it that we should have to want to be the best that we can be in whatever regard, whatever gift, whatever calling we have in life. We should want to be the best student or husband and wife. We should want to be the best mother or father, the best priest, the best whatever our vocation is, the best that we can be in the eyes of God. But all too often the enemy snakes his way into the picture yet again and sells us this lie that if you're not the absolute best of everything, you're really no good for anything. That earthly crown, that earthly vanity, glory, power, fame, whatever it might be, that we try to put on for ourselves, and it all fails. It fades, and at the end of time, it ends. Hopefully at the end of our lives, we can give to God whatever glory we have for ourselves and be proud of it just like at the queen's funeral. It's all taken from her as it was entrusted to her and put back on the altar of God, saying, Lord, you gave her all of this. 
We give it to you now. Have mercy on her soul. Bring her into your kingdom. That's what a funeral mass is for us as Catholics. It is not a celebration of life. It's not happy memories. It's not a time to eulogize the person. It's to pray for their soul here on earth as it will be in heaven, hopefully, as they reign with the Lord forever and ever. It really puts things in the perspective when we have to think of the fact that we fall into one of two categories. Either we're the rich man in the gospel or poor Lazarus. Because the rich man had everything that he needed for him to be wearing these purple robes and this fine linen and dining very finely each and every day. He was well known in society. He was well known. He had this stature and this status about him. He wanted for nothing. And maybe, who's to tell, maybe he did leave his home to try to go and serve the poor or to build up the kingdom or to do good. Maybe he did. But in doing so, he turned a blind eye to Lazarus who was literally at his doorstep, ignored Lazarus, stepped over him, and went on his way. We tend to want to be the absolute best of everything. I got to be the smartest student. I have to be the best preacher, the best confessor. I have to be the cool mom or dad. I have to be the best loving husband or wife. But where is our pride underneath that? Where are we trying to make this earthly glory and crown for ourselves? On earth as it is in heaven, we pray in the Lord's Prayer. That's not just this nice platitude to say, oh, we need to treat everyone nicely so we can go to heaven. It's not just a blueprint for how to build up the kingdom. It's really to see ourselves as God himself sees us. He knows who we are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The strengths and gifts, the weaknesses and failures. He knows it all, and yet we try to put on this falsity, this false front, this mask, to say, I'm much better than I actually am, Lord. And he knows the truth. To see ourselves in the heavenly kingdom is to see who we truly truly are because our names are already written in heaven they're written on the sacred heart of jesus christ many unfortunately choose apart from him choose against him but in heaven there is a place for us if we can see ourselves here on earth being there in heaven with the martyrs with the saints with the angels laying down our own earthly crowns at the foot of christ the real king then we truly know who we are. Then those words, here on earth as it is in heaven, mean much, much more. Maybe we find ourselves in that situation of the rich man. Maybe we find ourselves in the position of poor Lazarus, where we're in need. We need someone to acknowledge us. We need someone to love us. Maybe we need somebody to feed us or to clothe us or to shelter us. Maybe there's a deep longing and hunger in our hearts to hear the actual gospel to meet Jesus Christ. Who is it then that answers that need? Where do you find it? All too often, we think that our mission as Christians, as Catholics, as disciples of Christ, has to be this gigantic, explosive thing. Think of the wonderful souls like Mother Teresa, changing entire nations, traveling the world, setting hearts on fire. Praise God for that. That was her particular gift. What about the beautiful souls like St. Therese of Lisieux, who from the walls of her convent, never seeing the outside world after she entered the convent, 
sanctified so many lives, prayed for so many people, made disciples of Christ in small, simple, everyday ways. When we keep aspiring to the big thing, the flashy thing, the prideful thing, call it for what it is, then we're being again like the rich man. We're overlooking Lazarus right in front of us, the opportunity to evangelize, to make disciples, to build up the kingdom of God right in front of our very face. And yet we step over it and we go run to something that's big and exciting that we think is going to fulfill us. Look no further than where you are in this moment. So many hearts and souls walk through the doors of Christ the King every day. We all need Christ. We all need to be reminded of the gospel, that the good news is the good news because Jesus Christ is alive and he loves us. And we have a part in building that kingdom. 30,000 souls on this campus. Who are you evangelizing? And I don't mean going track them down and telling them they're going to hell if they don't agree with you. Who are you sharing Jesus Christ with? Right in front of your face. In your workplace, in your classrooms, in your homes, in your dorms. What are the small ways in which you're building the kingdom? Because there's only so much that Father Andrew and myself can do to build the church, to build the kingdom. The bulk of the work, I hate to tell you, falls to you as a disciple, as a beloved son and daughter. Don't put on this earthly crown of vanity and pride and false power and vainglory. Put on the true crown that Christ gives you as his beloved. Someone he loves, someone he has died for, someone he, he has redeemed and now offers eternal life to. That's who you really are. And there's nothing you or anybody could ever do to take that from you. Praise God for that. Look no further. Build the kingdom in front of you in the small, tea-tiny little ways. It's that simple. On earth as it is in heaven. Right in front of you, Lazarus laying at the, do at the doorstep. So that when that day comes, we breathe our last breath and we stand before God himself for our judgment. We will have to take off a crown of whatever we've done in life on earth. Hopefully, it's a beautiful one an honest one, one of true love, true charity, the crown of a disciple, so that you can proudly take it off, give it to Christ the King, and say, Lord, I made this for you. You gave me everything that I needed in life. I built up your kingdom as best as I could, and now this is for you. Then and only then do those words start to make sense. Do they start to mean something? And then we can wholeheartedly say, to one another, and to God himself. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your divine and perfect will be done. On earth, absolutely, but for all eternity, especially as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at CTK is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctk.com. LSU.org.